Welcome, podcast listeners, to Day 2 Cloud. Today we bring you a special episode recorded live in Las Vegas where Ned and I are in town for AWS reInvent. And welcome to all of you who are also in town and came here to watch the recording. You're all awesome humans. Give yourselves a hand. Yeah, there we go. All right. Sponsor Prosimo has made possible this discussion about the challenges of cloud networking and how to tackle them. And if, if challenges was too vague a word for you, well, the core issues are centered around networking in the multi-cloud. I think I'm hitting that about right, Ned. What do you think? No. I think you're wrong. <laughs> multi-cloud networking is very simple. No one has any trouble with it. And uh, we can all just uh, eat some more and drink some more. That, this can be a very short podcast. Very short, very, very short. Very short, short and sweet. Now, uh, obviously, when you look at the various clouds that are out there, they've all kind of invented their own networking layer. And there's common components, but there's not so common components. So putting those things together is not the easiest thing in the world. And also plumbing it into your existing data center and all your branch offices, also not simple. So, uh, you know, I'm speaking as a podcaster, but we actually have somebody here who's trying to do this for real. So why don't we introduce him, Neil, Neil Smith. You're the, uh, the head of infrastructure for the entire Scottish government. Not quite the entire Scottish government. Not um, yet. <laughs> one of the largest directorates inside the Scottish government. So first of all, thank you for being our first victim. I mean, guest. Um, can you tell us what the challenges, the main challenges are for you when it comes to multi-cloud networking? I think the main challenge originally was, was to try and get everyone on the same page. I think multi-cloud by a concept is still relatively new. Um, when you try and go through your appropriate channels, the, um, the architecture teams, and you talk about multi-cloud and this is how we should, should design for multi-cloud, a lot of the responses that you get is actually, well, no, we're just going to be in one cloud. It's difficult enough mm. to be in one cloud. Why do we want to be in two cl or three clouds? No, you don't want to be, but you are. Oh, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's a... And, and you'll, you'll, you'll notice that, that a lot of people just naturally move to multi-cloud through, not, not by choice, by, by users coming up with solutions on different hyperscale cloud providers, right? So, so multi-cloud, it can be difficult when you're all in on one cloud, and then you want to maybe re-architecture your networking for multi-cloud, and that becomes difficult. But the benefits far outweigh the kind of early negatives of re-architecting your network, your cloud network. Yeah, what would you say, uh, what are the benefits to embracing more of a multi-cloud scenario? Because I know, like we were talking earlier, and you were saying, everybody just wants to stay on one cloud, but I need to give them a good reason to potentially think about other clouds. And then you gave me a concrete example that actually happened. I don't know if you can share that. <laughs> um, we had a long discussion about having to re-network re our current AWS estate, but then design it for a multi-cloud network architecture. So we have that single cloud network architecture, which then gives us the ability to consume or pivot another cloud whenever we choose, whenever we wanted to. Um, and ironically, we got the feedback, again, as I mentioned just there, um, was, well, no, I don't think we need to consume another cloud provider, okay? We're happy in <laughs> AWS. I, I, I know we're all at reInvent, okay? But in reality, AWS doesn't do the best product for everything, okay? You know, you know there, are, there, there are hyperscale cloud providers out there that do some, some better features, right? And I, th I think we'd all acknowledge that. Um, and it, to reference back, Ned, that you mentioned there, I gave you that real-world example. So we went through... 
about a six-month discussion about multi-cloud networking, what the benefits are, etc. We managed to get it adopted. Um, but then it was about two months there or thereabout, we had the BI team come in and say, hey, we're going to use Power BI. And I was like, well, 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 multi-cloud, right? <laughs> it's like, here it is. And we've now got the ability to have that with the single cloud network architecture that we have to consume another hyperscale cloud provider with relative ease. Whereas if we didn't have that, every hyperscale cloud provider's um, networking constructs are all unique and different, and they become challenging. But when you actually use a, a multi-cloud networking provider, you've already got that knowledge, and it's easy to consume any hyperscale cloud provider you choose. I want to pull the audience real quick and just see... How many of you are only using a single cloud today? And don't worry, we won't tell AWS that you might be using more than one, but how many people are only using one public cloud provider today? I you, see. You only have one, you're not multi-cloud, you're, you're a single cloud at this point. We have one guy nodding his head, is he the only one? <laughs> okay, how many people are using two? All right, see a couple hands going up. Anybody using three? And we see a lot more hands going up. Wow, so yeah. I think this is kind of, uh, yeah, <laughs> it so, might be resonating with people a little bit. So another question for the crowd, since you're, uh, most of you, the vast majority of you are multi-cloud, how many of you it was by choice, and how many of you it was kind of forced upon you, either through M&A activity or a dev did something, and it's like, yeah, it's in Azure. I know the rest of it's AWS, but you know, it's, it's in Azure. <laughs> How many oh, of you see. were forced into it? Uh, you were, so first off, you were, uh, it was by choice. You wanted to go multi-cloud, yeah? Uh, I, see, no, no. I see one kind of a hand, yeah. <laughs> and so the rest of you, it was, you would say it was forced upon you against your will? Yes, okay. Or you didn't have a say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we know. So, Neil, one, uh, one question here. You mentioned about the... Basically, having your cloud networking abstracted away from you because they're all different to operate normally. Yep. Operationally, what has that solved for you, having one way to deal with the network across multiple clouds? That's one of the key benefits, um, uh, Ethan. Um, what it gives you, and I, I can't load this phrase, but I'm going to say it, it gives you that single pane of glass. <sighs> right? Yeah, I think we all hear that <laughs> phrase, but it's true. Um, and also as well, um, if we look at AWS or Azure, a lot of the debugging for the network is, it's like a black box, right? It's difficult to actually be able to try and work out where the problem is. And teams will point the finger elsewhere. You don't have the traditional tools like ping or traceroute, et cetera. Um, so what you have with a, with a multi-cloud networking provider is they give you the visibility and they give you the ability to be able to, to investigate actually is it a network problem and where is that networking problem? So you can get the root cause analysis almost immediately. So you can actually fix the problem and then move on to whatever, whatever's next. For me, that was huge. So is it, an, is it a networking function within your company? As in, there's a lot of silos in IT. Networking is one of them. Has this networking function for cloud stayed within that silo or has it changed how your organization looks at things? It's changed. Um, I... I always think since cloud came, came along, particularly in the government, you used to have all those silos. You had a backup team doing backup, networking team doing networking, um, security team doing security, et cetera, storage team doing storage. When in reality, when cloud engineers now, you're expected to understand to a great detail the amount of all those areas to a certain extent. So they're now no longer siloed, Ethan. They're more kind of 
cross-team collaboration. We're all one and the same. Um, networking was never one of my strong points um, uh, when I used to be technical. But actually, when we're implementing the cloud networking solution, it's like, okay, I, I need to... Well, when we're implementing our cloud solution, I had to understand networking far greater. It's almost... I use the phrase, as, um, the, the Shakespeare praise in um, A Merchant of Venice. They want the pound of flesh now in cloud engineers. It's, they want you to know it all and the rate of change is crazy. And I feel real um, sorry for cloud engineers because they're being expected to know most of those, those areas mm-hmm. and keep on top of it with the high rate of change. And that's extremely difficult. Well, this is interesting because you're saying cloud engineer. You're not saying the network engineer, the network engineering team picked up cloud responsibilities. You're, you're flipping it around and saying yes. the people that deal with cloud. Is there, so is there still a networking team there dealing with, I don't know, on-premises here? So, so yes. Yeah. So in, in my team, they manage the network now with close collaboration, but there is a central government team just on the perimeter that's one single network team. But where I'm seeing across the board is it's all getting absorbed into a kind of cross-collaboration teams. Okay. Any of you out there willing to grab a microphone and t- basically the same question. This, this, is, this is big for everybody's organizations. As you deal with the cloud, it changes how your IT organizations are, are built, how they're constructed and organized. Can any of you come up and grab a mic and comment in your own orgs how that's working? <laughs> See a lot of finger pointing. <laughs> Someone give somebody a push. Bring them up. It's easy. Yeah, my name is Ahmed Ali. I'm from Intuitive Cloud. Um, we kind of do cloud networking solutions. We build uh, um, network architectures, cloud architectures around uh, AWS, Azure, GCP. Right? We do this day in, day out. We help customers migrate workloads and uh, um, evacuate the data centers and also kind of build security around all that we do. Right? Mm. So these are, these are like the, the push that, that we usually get from customers. That, but the challenges that customers start facing is after we move the workloads. Right? Because as you said, there, there's, there's a requirement where we've been forced upon to go to Azure, for example. Because you know we all kind of love or hate Microsoft, but we cannot be without it, right? There's there's a lot of SaaS-based <laughs> services, there's a lot of different services where we still want to have that connectivity there. And the problem with, uh, I mean, I come from a legacy background, right? From from traditional networking with Hub and Spoke, I mean, with the BGP and whatnot. We do not see the same amount of. Uh, you know, easy way of onboarding uh, a multi-cloud architecture. That is not there. And another point I think one of you brought up is, how do we debug? Once we start building the networks, the, the, the thing that, I mean, I would, not, I would not say AWS misses out, but usually what we do not find in, in cloud networking is the way to debug and to assess, hey, where is that packet getting dropped? And you know, how do I reroute things? How do I bring in self-healing capabilities? You know, these are the challenges that we see day in, day out when, when we start talking to customers and try to help them solve all these issues that we, we come across. And, and that's where I think uh, Prosimo and a few other players in the, in the market are trying to fill that gap and trying to kind of address those concerns, right? So right. introducing some, some sort of agno- cloud agnostic tool sure. that can kind of span all these different domains and any new clouds that might arrive because I, I don't think Never we're done. Yeah. <laughs> right? Believe it or not, Oracle Cloud is not terrible. <laughs> Whoa. I know, I know, I know. I feel weird saying it, but yeah. it's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have Oracle Cloud, you have VMware Cloud, you've got a lot of players in the market. Now, I think once we kind of fix this 
easy onboarding, fast onboarding, self-healing capabilities, being able to do this DR capabilities where we can switch on and off, right? And as, as simple as that. Mm -hmm. You know, that is where I think the market is going towards and that's where I think a lot of technology-driven uh, push is happening in the market. Yeah, one of the things that I hear a lot about is this idea of application portability and being able to move to a, a different cloud if you want to, a different region, a different data center, relatively easily based off of cost or regulations or, or whatever it is. How much of that do you think is a driver behind the multi-cloud networking simplicity? Yeah, I mean, so when we started off uh, with legacy data center, right, we always knew where my workloads are going to be hosted from. Right? We knew that this is my DMZ and these are my web servers that I'm going to host from. But when you talk about cloud, it's fluid, right? There's nothing yeah. like, there's nothing real. It's, I mean, even though it is real, but then you can actually onboard, you can have different architectures. Like you can have a distributed architecture, you can have an ingress uh, in your on-prem and have your applications in the cloud or vice versa, right? So there are a lot of challenges like this that we see and uh, uh, to be able to cater and be able to provide to these business requirements, I think that's the real challenge where, uh, you know, making sure we still have those different layers of security um, when we build these workloads and when we onboard these uh, uh, customer-facing applications, for example, be it a travel or a, a business like that, right, where you have a lot of um, millions and millions of um, um, uh, traffic that you can you can spike up or you can you can you know scale up and then scale down. Mm -hmm. These are the challenges that we so, see. So yeah, I mean that's that's right in my wheel wheel wheelhouse, Ned. So. The current tagline that we're running with in Scottish government is an agnostic approach to multi-cloud, okay? Mm. And you mentioned it, portability. That if portability is key for your app, then you're going to need some multi-cloud network and you're going to need other PCs like um, how you're managing the data layer and security compliance and monitoring and observability. But if portability is key, then multi-cloud networking is key. But you mentioned it as well, Ned, was is the, the requirements. I, I, the phrase that I use is you should host your workloads based on the requirements. That requirements could be cost, it could be security, it could be compliance, it could be portability, it could be anything like that. But then what you do is you then work out if, if it's portability, then I, I want the ability to move my workloads where I want, when I want, then the only way to do that is through having a multi-cloud network architecture. How, how real do you think that is? Because uh, the reason I say that is people talk about vendor lock-in and I want to be able to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. But the reality is they're never going to move that application. They just want, they want that option to exist in some theoretical capacity. Yeah. Do you think there's anybody actually shifting around applications between clouds and on-prem? I think I asked knowingly. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think right now it's it's um, it's it's few and far between. I think the rise of Kubernetes it's growing and growing and growing to get true. You know, we can't we can't lift and shift an application from a cloud-native service or a serverless service from one high-scale cloud provider to another. But if you've got a Kubernetes containerized workload, then it's very easy to lift and shift. And I think the rise of that the the the, the um, container organized or, or, or orchestration market um, helps that so you can now have the ability to move those workloads where you want when you want now and it's funny you mention that that can a vendor lock in but can but also you've got there's, there's phrases that get put out like well if you if you do multi cloud then you're losing the capability of consuming 
cloud-native services if you're just doing containers, and that's true. However, that's vendor lockout if you're just going to go all-in-one cloud provider. As I said earlier, it's not one hyperscale cloud provider does the best service of everything. If it did, then there would only be one hyperscale cloud provider on the market. But, right? Neil, one, one of the drivers for multi-cloud adoption is there are unique capabilities within a cloud provider that you want to take advantage of, so you have that workload in that cloud and not in another one. What is If we homogenize all of the workloads that they're that portable, why am I bothering with multi-cloud at all? Great question. Um, <laughs> um, so, you, no, you're right. But again, it's host your workloads based on the requirements. Is if, if you've found a hyperscale cloud provider that, that, that delivers the service for what you require based on its requirements, but then you acknowledge that, you know what, we're not going to have the ability to, to move that out or be portable, then you're just going to have to acknowledge that. But the same thing, the same argument applies is, you, if, if you've got multi-cloud networking architecture in place for the networking piece, it's still a piece of cake to then consume all these different services. Whereas if you didn't have multi-cloud networking, then you're going to have to manage those cloud-native constructs, networking constructs for each individual hyperscale cloud provider, and that's going to be a pain. I mean, having applications in multi-cloud doesn't mean like you have to have like your entire uh, web layer as a replica in both clouds, right? It all depends upon what makes sense uh, from a cost point of view and what a certain cloud provider does best. Because you know, end of the day, even though you have services, similar services in all cloud providers, but there's some edge when you talk about AWS has a certain edge on a certain services. Microsoft has an uh, edge on a certain other services. So I mean, not necessarily you should consider multi-cloud as your prod in, in AWS and your DR in in, uh, in Azure or GCP. Rather, you know, a combination of what makes sense from a business point of view, from a cost point of view, and things like that. You know, sometimes you're tied up with your license as well. Yes. You know, some license portability is, is not mm -hmm. so easy, right? I think you, you pay heavily for Microsoft's licenses and you, you kind of marry to Azure, for example. I mean, it's, right? nat it's, it's natural, right? If, you, if you've got the ability to have more choice, you would want that all day, every day, right? Rather than saying, hey, I've only got one choice, then you're pretty much then, you have to use that choice. But if you've got multiple clouds that you've got the ability to pick and consume, then that's a great place to be and you don't have to be. But if you've got that option, then that's a far better place to be in. So then the networking challenge comes in with the different ways you're dealing with networking in each cloud. So if you homogenize the networking so that it is common across all the platforms, the enablement to move workloads around becomes much easier. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I, I would posit another thing that's super important. It's not just moving an individual application because you want that portability. It's connecting up the applications that are now running in your multiple clouds and doing it in a consistent way. Yeah, 100%. Or even, even the utopia, you could have multiple services on multiple hyperscale cloud providers and all interlinked and consuming and moving on, right? I mean, these, these are the capabilities. There's not many people doing it, but you have the option. It goes back to actually, why restrict yourself? You're always better to have numerous options than this. One option, but yes, yes. spot on it, yeah. All right, guys, I want to move the topic on to, uh, to ZTNA, uh, Zero Trust Network Access. How many of you guys are familiar with this, ZTNA as a technology? Yeah, several yeah. people, okay. Two hands, all right. How many of you think that ZTNA is just another fancy way to say VPN? <laughs> is that all it is, really? It feels that way, doesn't it? There's a bit more to it than that, right? Because Zero Trust is giving us the opportunity to evaluate the endpoint in a way that is detailed. We know what the security posture is. We get identity baked into this thing. And now we know who it is and what their credentials are and what specifically they're allowed to access on a resource-by-resource -resource basis. 
Okay. How many of you are looking into ZTNA, just show of hands here, uh, as a possible replacement for whatever your remote VPN solution might be? Uh, yep, a few hands. How many of you are happy with your remote VPN solution as is? Not the rest of you, so okay. <laughs> okay, so there was an announcement today at AWS reInvent uh, about what they are doing with ZTNA, and uh, Prosimo is a partner in this service, so I wanted to get the summary here from Viraz about what the announcement was and what the partnership is. Sure, sounds great. So today, AWS has announced their uh, Zero Trust solution for providing access to some of the web application. It's called uh, privileged, uh, verified privileged access. We're just only talking about uh, you, how you can securely access your applications without a VPN. Now, working with uh, uh, AWS, uh, having a long-term partnership with them, what they are kind of uh, trying to address is applications running in the cloud, mostly in the web protocols. There are still uh, applications which you might have kind of access as, your, as developers and administrators, uh, which requires more than just a web protocol. This is where we are partnering with AWS, providing access to not just HTTP application, but more than that, like RDP or uh, your tools, your uh, SSH applications, any type of like customized port applications you can access through Prosimo. On top of that, how would you provide the right level of performance? If users are coming from different geolocations, you have applications running in uh, certain geolocations, how would you provide them the best optimal path? How would you optimize that traffic? How would you uh, kind of um, uh, add optimization profiles depending on which applications your users are accessing? So those are all the areas that we are addressing with, uh, with Prosimo in partnership, partnership with AWS. Yeah, interesting to, to me, a guy that uh, grew up with only BGP on the internet and you know what you got was what you got. Now we have the ability to intelligently route on an application by application basis for a performance profile SLA that you're looking for. Absolutely correct. And every application requires certain uh, traffic profiles, traffic requirements from the backbone connectivity, right? So HTTP is, is looking at HTTP kind of get and post, content caching and whatnot. Uh, if you compare that with a more of a streaming protocol, like an RDP or some other like a very chatty protocol, it requires less latency, uh, better performance, less jitter. So depending on the application profile, how would you kind of use AWS's backbone to kind of connect them to a respective kind of performance profile? Which is interesting. AWS as a cloud wants you to use the internet for as long as possible until you get to their cloud. So if you can optimize things across their cloud between regions and AZs, Correct. That's, that's an interesting ability. And, and, and in addition to that, uh, we, could, we are also leveraging some of the other capabilities like AWS Global Accelerator Regions, so that you spend less time on internet and more on AWS backbone. So if I'm accessing an application, a region could be far away, maybe 20 milliseconds, 25 milliseconds. Maybe AWS Edge is probably across the road in one of the data centers. Yeah. <laughs> so I can cut down that latency while routing the traffic over AWS backbone. I'm curious about the zero trust portion of it because I know a big part of zero yeah. trust is identity. Yes. So in what way is identity being used within the solution? So in order to authenticate and authorize the traffic, you need an identity solution. Back in the days, in the data center days, people try to use Active Directory or you know some of these LDP, LDAP protocol, right? Right. Now, when you move to cloud, those Active Directories, those LDAP protocols might not work for those some of those cloud identities. For that, you need an identity solution. So, in order to make work work with those integrate with those identity solutions, uh, we work with let's say uh, things like Octa, Ping One. 
you know, some of these uh, identity solution which works on modern protocols, not just LDAP, but like SAML 2.0, YDC. So how do you authenticate and authorize the user first? But it's not just about authentication authorization. You have to provide continuous posture management, right? So on mm -hmm. the fly, when, if something changes, if, if I'm accessing an application right now from Vegas, tomorrow I fly out back to San Jose, I access the same application, the platform should be able to detect that something has changed. The user location has changed, the time has changed, the behavior has changed. Changed. Maybe I'm accessing probably 5,000, 10,000 get request, post request. Suddenly, if, I, if, my, if my user ID is coming and I'm trying to download some S3 buckets, 50,000 post requests, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So the behavior change needs to be detected. So we are kind of working on top of AWS's uh, zero trust solution. We are providing the deeper posture management, posture assessment, posture enforcement based on different user behaviors. Okay, that that's a step. That's almost a step up yeah. from what I would think of as typical zero trust, which is like I don't trust you, but you have gotten an identity. Yes. Uh, you're proving your identity through some third-party trusted source that we both believe in, and now I will let you access it based off of some policies that I have. But that continuous posture management, posture management. That, that's a whole other level of absolutely. I trust, but I'm going to verify, and then I'm going to verify, and then I'm I'm going to verify again. Yes. So it's not just the initial trust that you build with an identity solution, it's the continuous trust that you have to build with the solution like Proximo. So if something changes in the, uh, in the behavior, is there a mechanism, is there a machine learning algorithm that can detect that behavior and prompt you for additional factor of the, it's not just about detecting, you have to prevent that access. If it's a legitimate uh, compromise, how would you prevent that access? if my ID is compromised. So Prosimo, uh, we, as, as part of our uh, um, uh, mechanism, we kind of do a step up authentication, or we kind of loosely call it speed bump. So it's, <laughs> before you access an application, create a speed bump, send me like additional uh, multi-factor authentication, or check the client-side certificates. If it's not there, block access. You ask user to first validate that you is indeed the right authorized user. Mm -hmm. So those are the additional posture checks that you build on top of a, a, a zero trust. Zero trust is more of a, it's more of a strategy. The multiple components of it, identity is one part of it, then posture management, then EDRs. All of that comes and combines and make the zero trust strategy. Gotcha. So Neil, I want to get your reaction to this because if I'm frank, uh, with ZTNA as a technology broadly, I'm fairly cynical for a couple of reasons. One, we've tried this in the past in, in other lesser ways with IDS IPS, for example. Uh, we haven't been doing like mutual TLS all the time for client authent to uh, services and back so much, but it's always struggled to get those sorts of initiatives off the ground. Too hard to implement, too complicated, and for sake of convenience, as a security team, we won't want to implement something that is that detailed. Uh, does ZTNA change the game, Neil, from your perspective? For me, it, it definitely does. If you're going to ask me the question there, Ethan, do you want it? Yes, but I think, <laughs> I think it's, it is. It's getting people's mind around it, and if we have more tools that make the, the ability to enable ZTNA, then why wouldn't you want to, right? But I believe, you know, you're right with the IDS and IPS, et cetera, right? We've, we've never really matured. They've been around for a long time, and I, I remember back in my early days, but, but what we're just hearing there, it makes a compelling argument. It sounds good, so it's, it's definitely something to, yeah, I mean, I, th I think now with the threat landscape that everyone's under, et cetera, right, we're all going to be exposed and we're always going to be under attack. If you can put those extra layers of security, I think 
it only makes perfect sense because you know eventually we'll all we'll, we'll all be attacked and it's just to, to limit the blast radius effectively so, so then think about it as an architect if you're a network or a security architect and you're looking at ZTNA and you want to begin rolling it out incrementally in your organization where do you start don't know. Can you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> you start at the beginning. Uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, sorry, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That in my area of expertise. Well, so, uh, so 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 my take on this is you roll it out in a lower profile, lower hanging fruit area first. You start there. I got you. Because with a product that's this capable, there is going to be complexity that comes with it. And so what you want to do is figure out where the specific policy tweaks are that you're going to need to implement to make it work right for your environment and get that solved on something that's less risky. You don't take your VPN clients that have been working great for your executive team for the last five years, rip that out and say, new thing tomorrow, good luck. Then, uh, you know, hope the help desk can figure out the rest. You got to bring it in uh, a little bit at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, once you've proven out your policy, then, you know, off you go, which you've been there, I'm sure. And we, yeah, so, yeah, a bit annoyed there, Ethan. I should have, uh, uh, I should have said that. That's that's consistently what we do for any new kind of projects or, or or things like this. Is we identify something small, relatively easy, but you do it, you get the process, and then you take the momentum of that success and replicate it as you go out. So yeah, yeah, that's what I should have said. Thanks. One other point, Neil, is gets into some of the details of ZTNA implementation, which very often involves. Uh, having to run your own certificate authority. I don't know if that's in your wheelhouse or not, but if it is, do you have an opinion on that? What you think about that? Yes, it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, security, it, 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 certificates has always been difficult, and yeah, it, it, it's still difficult for, for uh, the certificates that we manage ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Any of you manage your own CAs at any point? Have you done that? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, did did painful, you love right? the experience? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. (laughs) Come work with the Scottish government. So so another point then as you're evaluating ZTNA solutions is how hard is it for me to deal with my certificate authority having to manage that myself? Because you're going to need that to be issuing certificates to clients and to servers and services. uh, And it is going to be crucial for for MTLS authentication on both sides to make that work for you. That CA has got to be something you understand intimately so that you can uh, rely on it to provide the identification that you're looking for for the CTNA to do what it's being paid to do. But if we want to bring that back to the multi-cloud conversation, I think you would want to pursue a certificate solution, management solution that works across multiple clouds. Uh, and there are some solutions out there that absolutely do that. But yeah, when, when you're thinking about the tool selection and the requirements, it's again that acknowledgement of, I'm probably going to have to do this everywhere. So wouldn't it be real nice if I had one tool to do this everywhere. I'm not sure what your experience has been, Neil, in, in terms of uh, certificate authority across multiple clouds, yeah. or not at all yet. Not at all yet, Ned. <laughs> but when you made that point, I was like, damn, yeah, that is, that is going to be a challenge. <laughs> I guess the one nice thing is that certificate authority, is it, it's, a, it's a standard that you can adhere to. So it's not like all of your CAs, the issuing CAs and the intermediate CAs all have to be running the same exact operating system and be on the same hardware or from the same service. You can have a root CA that issues, issuing certificates to other CAs that are hosted in the different clouds or you know different software. So you do have that. Because it's a standardized product set of 
protocols and, and cryptography, I can say words, um, you have that portability, you have that flexibility, which maybe that gets back to the networking conversation of because a lot of these clouds went off and built their own thing and there wasn't the standardization across the clouds, we had to build additional abstractions and tools to get back the standards that we wanted in the first yep. place. Yep. Great point. We'll, we'll throw this out to the to, to the audience here. We're, we're looking ahead to 2023. Um, where do you anticipate your biggest cloud networking challenges to, to come from? Is it operations? Is it connectivity? Or is it security? As you think about those three, ops, connectivity, or security, which is going to be your biggest multi-cloud pain in the rear end? Anybody from the audience got an opinion? So yeah, I mean, observability is one thing that we uh, we kind of see that a lot of customers are struggling today, right? Because you've got you've got all sort of services that you onboard based on the need, uh, based on the business need, uh, be it an application uh, migration that we do or uh, refactoring that we do from an on-prem or a, or a legacy application to to cloud. But the, the the challenges that the 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 management or 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 the C-suite has is. Uh, if a certain link goes down, what will be the impact to my business, right? You know, how does it affect my business? Uh, it's not just a link that is going down, but there could be a lot of lot of traffic that is getting affected because of that. A certain amount of uh, um, uh, financial impact they're going to have, right? So, how do we tie uh, these? critical issues and challenges to the impact that it can bring or it may bring to the business. You're not, right. So, so for the engineers in the room, we're not talking about just observability from the red light, green light performance and all that yes. kind of stuff that we used to do. It is observability from that standpoint of this is down, what is impacted in the business and how do I automatically clearly exactly. communicate that to the exactly. suite that cares about it? That's right. That's yeah. right. How does it affect the business, right? That's what matters end of the day. Uh, a link going down, I mean, what are the self-healing capabilities that there are, and when can I uh, pull the switch to kind of take this from this uh, uh, stack to a DR? When do I, uh, you know, take a call? Uh, you know, those sort of things is what I see. The real challenges we're going to have, and and we are working towards a lot of customers trying to deal with these issues and these challenges. I'd say one of the one of the big challenges around that is that the cloud providers don't necessarily share what's going on on their network. <laughs> they don't always tell you when there's a link down, and that could potentially cause some congestion. And you know they have to prioritize traffic. They they might not share that with you. So you need to be collecting your own metrics and observing what's going on in that black box that is the various clouds that you're consuming. That's right. Exactly. All right, folks, we want you to enjoy yourselves tonight. So we're going to bring this podcast to a close. First of all, thank you for being here. Yes. Much appreciated. And uh, York, we're here with Prasimo. So uh, give, them a, give them a talk. Chat them up and see what's going on. And our thanks to all of you that uh, made an appearance today on Day 2 Cloud and to Prasimo for sponsoring this special event here in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, virtual high fives to all of you that are listening for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, Ned and I would love to hear them. Hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow or fill out the request form on Day2Cloud.io. And if you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, visit PacketPushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. It's all nerdy content designed for your professional career development. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>